0: Hey, folks, welcome to the Aspire Natural Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Tim Gerstmar. At Aspire Natural Health, we are experts in treating gut dysfunctions, autoimmune diseases, and other hard-to-treat cases. Our goal with this podcast is to bring you a range of interesting, informative, and yes, entertaining podcasts. All right, folks, without further ado, let's get to the show. All right, folks, it's Dr. Gerstmar. I am here at the Ancestral Health Symposium. Over the past couple of days, I had the privilege... Uh, so. It's super exciting for me that I ran into a contingent of ND students who decided to come to the conference Um, and learn and be here. And it's uh, super exciting to see the up-and-comers who will be joining me in the profession. And I happened to run into uh, a a fellow here uh, at the airport. And on the drive over from Denver to Boulder, uh, we totally nerded out about plant biochemistry, plant medicines, and a lot of other pieces. And I've had uh, the, the, the fortune of having a couple meals with him now. So I really wanted to sit down uh, with this spectacular ND student, his name is Guillermo Ruiz. Guillermo. Hi, how, how's, it, how's it going? Absolutely. How have you been enjoying Ancestral Health Symposium so far? Uh,
1: just knowledge. It's yeah. like n- knowledge overload. It's, it's amazing. I've met... You know, some amazing people i have been to some amazing talks, just learning,
0: learning, learning. Fantastic. Yeah. And so you said, uh, this is a plug for the Ancestral Health Symposium, uh, just so everybody knows, uh, I'm not officially related with them in any way. I get nothing, but I really do want to support this organization. And Guillermo was telling me he's been to a lot of different conferences over the past two years. And, And, uh, you know, I've learned so much more in
1: in, in one day of the Ancestral Health Symposium because we're constantly challenged. we we go into the stocks and it's not preaching to the choir. They invite people that
0: are pushing the envelope and challenging our ideas. Yeah. Yep. So Guillermo, tell me your, I always like to see, um, we come into our profession, into naturopathic medicine, which isn't a standard or normal profession by any means. Um, What was your story? How, what brought you to naturopathic medicine? Okay. So I've always known that I wanted to be a doctor. Okay.
1: And I think that's pretty much a lot of naturopathic students. Yes. Um, I worked at an emergency department for children uh-huh. back in Orlando. Okay. Um, and I knew I was gonna go th- uh, do the pre-med thing and everything. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So then my girlfriend's mom gets diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer, mm. jejunal cancer. Okay. okay. And so I'm like, okay, evidence-based medicine. Right. So I'm pouring through the journals and I'm looking at all the evidence behind this type of cancer, jejunal cancer. Mm-hmm. And there's a strong association between jejunal cancer and celiac disease.
0: Hmm. Okay, mm-hmm.
1: Com- it makes sense. You're yeah. you're you're making micro damage to the jejunum, right? And then eventually that mutation happens.
0: So and just for everybody out there, the jejunum is part of your intestines. Yes. So just <laughs> in case people don't know, your intestine it's part of your small intestines. So right? there is mm-hmm. evidence. Yes. There's papers that say okay,
1: there's this twin sisters with this rare form of cancer. Mm-hmm. The first. But in, the, the craziest thing is that the first symptom yes. that, that they caught was a total obstruction of the intestine. Oh, interesting. So now imagine that 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 opening completely covered with cancerous tissue, yeah. that, that, that cancer is everywhere. Right, you know? right, right. So they couldn't do anything for, for that twin. Okay. Uh-huh. But then they said, okay, let's look at the sister. Uh-huh. And she had the beginnings of genital cancer. Interesting. And celiac disease. Yes, okay? yes, yes. Uh-huh. So then they, they had that, that, that second patient that the twin had yes. a third sister uh-huh and she had celiac too Interesting. okay so now you yeah. have same genetic material yes. three sisters yes with celiac disease okay yes. uh-huh. uh and in paper after paper case studies because it's it's a rare form of cancer sure so then uh, i print out all these different things you know and my girlfriend's mom takes it to the to the oncologist and he's like well, you know, let's fight this together, you can do it, you know, throws away the evidence. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Because it's not, you know, it's
0: not part of their scope, or maybe they're just trying to have this this approach. Right, right, sure. I mean, you know, celiac is something a gastroenterologist is supposed to deal with, right? Not an oncologist. So let's be charitable to the oncologist and just say that person, you know, didn't really know what to do with that information. Maybe not the training. It, yeah, you know. exactly. Exactly. Sure. Uh, yeah, But but we we are treating. Oh, <laughs> no problem. Up. Yeah, yeah. We're getting some okay. clapping in the background. So
1: uh, so we're treating this this system, the human body, this complete system. Yeah. And b- by partitioning it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And meanwhile, you know, my girlfriend's mom has genetic material walking around this earth mm-hmm. in the form of children, mm-hmm. siblings. Mm-hmm. Okay, So maybe quitting gluten is, is not going to do anything against this rare form of, of cancer. Right. But what about the other people? Right. Okay? Right. So then w- what about the evidence-based medicine? What happened to this model that people shield behind? Yeah. So then I'm like, okay, I wish there was this profession that addressed the whole system mm-hmm. with nutrition, with exercise, with maybe supplementation, with pharmacology if needed. Yeah. And guess what? Then I hear a couple of podcasts and then the word naturopathic, it's thrown around. And I'm like, wow, this sounds amazing. Right. So, so I like to say you know, that naturopathic medicine found me because this system of medicine has been around for so long. Right. So right. then just to go back to your point of like this naturopathic profession that we have this different varied uh, beginning, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, at our school at SCNM, we have this, uh, this, the, the, this little ceremony. It's called a talking stick ceremony. Uh-huh. And we'll sit around a big circle and we pass around this talking stick and everyone tells their story. Okay. Mm-hmm. Every single one of my peers has a different story, mm-hmm. but the narrative is the same. Mm-hmm. Where did, did did this medical profession fail us? Yeah. We, you know, we, where did we make this fork? And we said, you know what? Okay, modern medicine is amazing. You know, we can do really great things with emergency medicine and all these things. Yep.
0: But it's not enough. Yes. Well, and it's, it, you know, we talk a lot at the Ancestral Health Symposium about mismatches, about how...
1: That, that has been the theme the, of the theme, this, yeah. The theme
0: is, look, you know, from, from an ancestral perspective, our modern lives and our modern society is a mismatch with yeah. what our genes and what, what our bodies expect. And similarly, you know, I always, I, I don't, no blame here, for thousands of years, the primary things, the primary issues for human beings from a health and medical perspective were injuries and infections. Yes. If you you know if, you, survive, if, if, an if injury, you survived an injury and if you survived an infection you were probably in pretty good gonna shape you were going to make it right know? so medicine evolved mostly to deal with infections and injuries yeah. and we see that taken to the highest level in the medicine that we have today i mean no one has ever treated infections and injuries as well as SMO the conventional medicine. system yeah. right 100%. And we should learn from that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's why, you know, we always say, look, true in my mind, at least, naturopathic medicine is the fusion of the best of the conventional system, taking all of the things that it does right. And the traditional system. And taking the traditional systems as well, because we see nowadays for most people the issues that concern them are not infections or injuries for the most part. So remember the conversation we were having last night about, okay, what is disease? Mm -hmm.
1: And, and, And it's not, disease is not a maladaptation. Right. Disease is an adaptation to a dysfunctional system.
0: Yes. Yes, it was a beautiful example. Um, Aaron Blasdale, he's the uh, one of the founders of the Ancestral Health Symposium. And uh, he was saying uh, in, he was uh, in a laboratory where they were working with monkeys. And they would find that, uh, you know, sorry for everybody out there, but... Mm-hmm that after a while, these little monkeys being caged up for a long time would start to display really uh, what were considered maladaptive behaviors, like they would start pulling their hair out, Um, they would engage in these repetitive behaviors, and they were saying, wow, you know, look how maladaptive or, or wrong they are. And the point that was brought up in this conversation was it's not that the monkeys were doing something bad, they were responding normally to a very to bad a, situation. To a stressful situation. Right. That's how they
1: deal with it.
0: Right. And so now
1: imagine, okay, so back to the to the uh, infectious disease era. Right. So you could get a strep infection and die from it. Right. Okay. So now this Fleming comes up with this beautiful thing, antibiotics, yep. that are silver bullets for infections. Absolutely. And now we have this system where we have a pill to
0: cure the obstacle to health being the bacteria. Right. Right. Right, and so, but the bottom line is, you're very sick, you take this pill, all you do is take this pill, and then... I know I know but magically <laughs> it's gone right and you're restored to health and everything works So then we have this initiative and it started with like things like the cancer initiative
1: and the heart dis- initiative right We're looking for the in you know quotation marks penicillin for heart disease right We're looking for the penicillin for autism right, right? the penicillin for cancer right We want that silver bullet right. but it turns out that maybe cancer maybe autism, maybe uh, diabetes is a mouth. Mal- it's an adaptation right. for a bad environment.
0: Right. And there is no there is no one single thing. Not one single thing. That will take it. We've talked, for example, some people will come into to a naturopath and they'll say, you know, I don't want to take uh, my diabetes medicines. Can I just take, for example, like cinnamon or, or one of a variety of herbal medicines instead? And will that you know, fix my diabetes? And the answer is no, no it, it won't. It, it's going to correct your blood sugar levels. Right. It'll help some. It, it, your right. lab work might look better.
1: Right. But do you remove the obstacle to health? Right. So, so sometimes identifying the obstacle of health is the, difficult, uh, uh, the difficulty with our profession. Yes. Perfect example, a headache. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what causes a headache? You know, we take Advil, like we have an Advil deficiency. Right. But, but what Advil is doing uh, is minimizing the symptom. Sure. But what can we do to, to erase the obstacle to health? Maybe you're, you have not drank enough water. Sure. There's an actual medical term mm-hmm. for not having enough water. Dehydration. Right. And you drink water, and the headache disappears. Right. So now, both systems remove the headache. Right. But only one... Is actually removing the obstacle to health. Sure. So now, instead of looking for the silver bullet for cancer, the silver bullet for autism, for obesity, for you name it, instead of looking for that sil- that one thing, why don't we look at the actual cause? Well, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's what we yeah, it's what we want we aim for, uh, right? Right. Yeah,
0: it, right. But it's oh, it, it turns out that everything is multifactorial. Right. I mean, the problem is, y- you know. The conventional system is a victim of its own success. They found out, uh, you know, and again, miraculously, that they came up with a treatment that worked quickly, worked easily, and and was unifactorial. That means there was one thing causing the problem. One, you know, a strep infection is one species of bacteria causing an infection, and you get rid of that and the problem goes away but when we're dealing with obesity or diabetes or autoimmune disease or cancer or any of these other things there is no one single thing and that's we're seeing the treatments are either very superficial in other words we can lower your blood pressure lower your blood sugar oh, we can limit you know. calories right very simple treatments right you know? but you know it doesn't get to the underlying things that are generating that condition in the first place um, and and You know, and the single therapy and the search for one thing, like, for example, cancer, you say, you know, it's it's where is the war on cancer was declared and we're going to defeat cancer. It's going to be defeated, just like infectious disease was defeated. Of course, now we know that that wasn't true either. But, um, you know, but we turn out that cancer is an incredibly diverse thing. And the in y- itself, so right. You, right. we're trying to defeat self, you right know? right. I mean, that's the ultimate right? It isn't despite what people feel that there is something foreign and an invader inside of them, and please just cut it out and get rid of it, yeah which, ultimately, it, which which works in some cases oh yeah, there's there's yeah. absolutely I mean, I think fundamentally what we're getting to is there is a place for that approach, yeah. but it but the issue is. That it is not a complete approach. No, it's and not. It, and what we're seeing in our society, and what is you know what brought you to this profession, what brings so many people to us, is the the recognition that that partial approach doesn't solve many problems. For so, people. so then, okay, mm-hmm. so
1: then in the in in the medical model, you talk about prevention, right? But taking a statin for heart disease is not preventative medicine, right? You know, it's like, oh, you know, you're 40, let me prescribe you a statin, you know, and then and that way you won't develop heart disease in the future. Right. Is that really prevention?
0: Well, I mean, there's this gets into a yeah. lot of different yeah. questions, yes. right? Because what we're seeing, what because proving something truly prevents something is a difficult thing. So what's much easier for modern medical science is to prove that a marker goes down. Goes down, yeah. So, for example, and... <laughs> Statins is a big conversation all by itself, but they definitely lower your cholesterol. 100%. And so then, great, that means it's working. Now then the data comes out that says, well, just because you're lowering cholesterol doesn't necessarily mean that you're preventing people from dying. And the whole point is, People don't care what their cholesterol is. They care if it's gonna if re, if yeah. it's gonna hurt them. basically. And, and the more we learn, the
1: more we learn that lowering like, so it's not that's maybe not the cause for heart disease. Right. Right. So so what's true prevention? What about like changing your diet? Right. What about exercise? What about sleep? What about reducing toxicity? Right. What you know in that's true prevention. I'm a
0: hundred percent with you. Um, so what ha- was your? Uh, so what happened with the celiac story? Well, so so at the same time mm-hmm. at that
1: that I was that that was going on, uh-huh. I started. Reading about this crazy paleolithic diet, mm-hmm. and it was like a parallel track mm-hmm. to where I started losing weight by eating in this uh, in this more traditional way. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and then you know started listening to Rob Wolf and Chris Kresser, and you know the more you listen, the more and, and then uh, the the crazy things happens when like Stephen Guyenet at AHS twelve starts mm-hmm. having a discussion with Tobbs about starches, right. And, and now there's no sacred cows. right? So now this diet is about where the science is taking it. Right. And that is just magnificent. And that's where this is the right approach to not only diet, mm-hmm. but like we've learned today, movement. Mm-hmm. We've learned, you know, uh, just longevity, sustainability, mm-hmm. and then medicine. Mm-hmm. And if we put all of those things under the evolutionary perspective, now everything begins to make sense. And now we can form this hypothesis and create through prevention, create through treatments, and Mm -hmm. create, you know. And and that's what, you know, uh, eventually landed me here at AHS.
0: Yeah. So, no, I just wanted to, so was your girlfriend's mother, did she have celiac disease? Uh, Did you ever find out?
1: uh, You know, it was a very fulminant type of cancer. She passed away, you know. Sure. But... so now I don't eat wheat, right, you know, right, and right. I feel much better. Yeah. She doesn't eat wheat. She we figured out that you know she's not diagnosed with celiac, you okay, know, okay. but very uh, strong responder, you right, know. Right. And then uh, her brother and, and her dad, and, every, and and you know, it just made sense to
0: quit eating wheat. Right. Right. And yeah. well, I want to say, and this blows me away. Um, if you have a relative with celiac disease, you should be checked for celiac disease. And now that is supposed to happen in the conventional system, but I often find that it doesn't. So just a call out there, if you have family members you know, genetically that you are genetically related to with celiac disease, you should also be checked for celiac disease. And you don't need an endoscopy. No. There are blood <laughs> tests that check for it. Or you can elimination diet. Well you certainly well, here's the deal, Guillermo, in, in my mind. Elimination diets can tell you whether eating wheat causes symptoms or whether yeah. you feel better without wheat. However, there's a difference between and, and there's a lot this can get complicated again, between wheat allergies, non-gluten sensitivities, and celiac disease. And so again, celiac disease is linked to increases in intestinal lymphomas, which are another type of uncommon cancer, but dramatically increased in, you know, in people with celiac disease who are consuming gluten. So I always stress if someone truly is concerned if they have celiac disease, it is worth discovering it because in the end of the day, it is still the same kind of basic treatment of not eating gluten yeah but it is uh, it, it, the difference is if you have you know non 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 celiac gluten sensitivity and you eat gluten, you may feel terrible and symptoms may come Brain up fall for you. In, yeah. Right, but if you have celiac disease and you eat gluten, you're essentially shredding your intestines and yes. increasing your risk. So there is, there is a different level. And so I do recommend screening for people. Yes, at the end of the day, if you don't have access or you can't afford it or, or whatever, you know, try a gluten elimination and yeah. see what happens for you. but if possible, you know get tested. You don't need to have an endosco uh, sorry a colonoscopy yeah. to check for it. Uh, there are testing and, and we can I'll talk more some other time about that, but it, we can leave it there. but and yeah. it, it
1: brings an excellent point you know uh, okay, so maybe wheat is not poison for everyone mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. But if you have an autoimmune disease, Mm-hmm. maybe you do need to avoid it at all costs yeah. because, you know, maybe your autoimmune disease might come back if you are exposed to it. And if you're robust and you're healthy and you're... Maybe you can have a slice of pizza every once in a while. Right? You know, and, and, and that's the beauty of this ancestral health, you know, uh, movement that... Paleo is not macronutrient uh, agnostic. It's not doesn't you know you don't you don't have to be low carbohydrate. Right. It's macronutrient agnostic. Yeah. You know, depends on your health status, depends on who you are, where you are, your illness, your your health. You know, Mm -hmm. and that's how you can modify this diet. Mm -hmm. You know, and like if you have a polymorphism that you can't tolerate saturated fats. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Who's to tell me that eating monounsaturated fats is not paleo if that's the most anti-inflammatory diet for you?
0: Right. Well, and I really like the thing is, you know, paleo now is a very loaded term. Yes. And the good news is the term paleo has carried many of these concepts much farther out into society, so we're very grateful for it. But of course, there are tremendous misconceptions for what paleo actually is. Yes. We do a whole podcast just on, on the common misconceptions, right? The vampires, right? The va- <laughs> we call uh, M- Michael Eads the uh, of protein of, um, uh, protein power, protein power uh, has this term called vampire myths. That no matter how much you put them down, they rise back Keep out of the grave back, again. Yeah. You know, uh, but. Um, here at the ancestral health symposium, the focus is not on paleo, which has acquired a certain you know preconceived notions about it, but the in- the entire idea of ancestral health of looking to both our far distant ancestors, which we would call paleolithic, and our much closer ancestors, even as far as you know a few hundred years we ago, know our grandparents, right and what we're, what can we what knowledge can we extract from them to help us now to guide us and help us live you know healthier Life, which is a great segue of my poster presentation. Absolutely. (laughs) So, he, Guillermo, and colleagues didn't just come for the great learning. He actually came to give us some learning. So, let me ask you, how far into? You're almost done with the program. I'm almost done. done. I'm in my final year. Okay, so one more year, and you will join us as the ranks of a licensed and practicing naturopathic doctor. But, but uh, he hasn't just been going to school. Guillermo's also been conducting. Research while he's been at school. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what you guys have been doing?
1: Okay, so the research started with uh, this paper on the Lancet from the 1800s uh-huh. where uh, the Mi'kmaq Indians were treating smallpox with a carnivorous plant. Sarsenia okay. purpurea Okay. Uh Sarsenia purpurea, the pitcher plant, uh, it's native of the eastern environment and uh-huh. the swampy environments. Uh-huh. And uh, we just wanted to p- put some evidence behind the treatment. Okay. So we started investigating this carnivorous plant uh-huh. just to you know, just to see if it worked. And it it works. Okay. Uh and then, you know, that has evolved into like going deeper and deeper into actual mechanisms of action mm-hmm. of this plant. Mm-hmm. So now imagine, you know, it, it, you're a plant that is carnivorous. Now you're accepting things that are, might carry bacteria or viruses into the plant. Right. So this plant, in order to protect ins- itself from these viruses and bacteria and evolve, has to create this endogenous materials to be able to defend itself against this, this, uh, these viruses. Right. And it turns out this Arsena um uh, or pitcher plant, produces these endogenous
0: substances Mm -hmm. that block viral replication. So the plant, in order to protect itself from— so these are plants, uh, you know, pitcher plants, but most people have heard of, like, Venus flytraps, right? Yeah, carnivorous plants. So they grow in very poor soils where there's not enough nitrogen that they're able to get out of the ground. So they've evolved this interesting trick of catching bugs mostly and stealing their nitrogen. So these are plants that eat— mostly other insects but then and i had never even thought of this until gamma brought it up for me because they're consuming insects they are now getting exposed to things like viruses and bacteria that the animals are carrying with them into the plants and so the plants themselves have to essentially build an immune system to protect themselves Uh, against this against these things yeah so then
1: uh so then you have what we did for this poster is we looked at all the uh relatives of this carnivorous plants Mm -hmm. that did not become carnivorous Mm -hmm. so it's the same parent you know and it has two different lineages and one went carnivorous the other one didn't yes and the non-carnivorous lineage doesn't have antiviral activity Hmm. and the carnivorous has antiviral activity every single time right so so then you know why is this cool or why is this other than it's really cool yes uh well, because then we can take advantage of these endogenous substances and create botanical medicine because these things transfer to humans. Right. So I don't, you know, it, my, my, uh, my mentor, Dr. Langland, you know, he says that it's not like these plants are evolving for
0: us, right. but we can definitely utilize these plants for us. Okay, hey folks, we're back again. We actually got kicked out, essentially, by uh, by by uh, campus services who were closing uh, the conference down for the day. So we relocated to a beautiful, sunny uh, place, and we're going to keep going. So we were last talking about um, your. Uh, uh, the research that you were doing that found that uh, the carnivorous plants were producing these antiviral compounds, but related uh, plants who had not become carnivorous were not producing the same material, which, if we think about why they're doing it again, yeah. makes complete and perfect again, sense. evolutionary
1: right? sense. Right. And, and and so uh, you know so as a nature for naturopathic medicine, you mm-hmm. know what this means is that we can identify the actual mechanism of activity of these plants, right? Okay. Now, in cancer treatment, right now, you mm-hmm. know the the idea is that you don't attack cancer with just one type of chemotherapy, right? You attack it with different types of chemotherapy to prevent the
0: adaptation and resistance, right? So, I just want to point out here that that. Uh, I have to say this very gently. Cancer is a horrible disease. It kills people. I lost my own mother to cancer. But when I step back and look at cancer it, from a very sort of logical, dispassionate place, it is amazing. Cancer yeah. to me is like bacteria. We know, it, again, tragic, but bacteria have a will to survive. And so when something kills them, they look to try and find a way to get around it. A random it. mutation. Right. Yeah. Cancer... Is a lot like bacteria in that it will find a way. You know, why, where does chemotherapy resistance come from? Well, again, the cancer is trying to survive, mm-hmm. and it's looking for ways to find resistance to to that mechanism of action. Right. Yeah. Right. So any single one thing, which again we go back to the conventional paradigm of find one thing, one treatment to take care of this problem will not effectively work and what we see commonly happen is that people what happens is this people will go they they're diagnosed with cancer they'll go in for treatment that will dramatically you know shrink the tumor they'll go into remission but what happens on a microscopic level is that that cancer that chemotherapy kills many or most of those cancer cells but the, like bacteria the ones that survive are the ones that are now resistant to that to chemotherapy that right? And so when the, those cells survive and begin to grow back again, and that, then when there's a re- recurrence of that cancer or a spread somewhere else, and now that initial treatment will no longer it doesn't work. It won't work so, for people. Yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. now
1: let's go back to viruses. Right. You know. Okay. So if you treat with a single botanical, right? Now this virus has the ability of being able to produce resistant to this botanical. Right. Okay. So as a naturopath, you know, we can make combinations of botanicals. Yes. So now we have this carnivorous plants that act in a very, in in a way, you know, they have this way of acting against the virus. Mm -hmm. Okay. We can use a non-carnivorous antiviral, Mm -hmm. you know, for example, Melissa officinalis, and it's probably going to have a different mechanism of action yes so now you're combining two three and then you add a kinasea, which is immunomodulator and right. then you add you know uh, something like uh, plantago that it that, that helps with the with skin regeneration right and now you have this synergistic blend yes that attacks the virus from four to Five different mechanisms of action, yes, and now you're preventing resistance right you're clearing the infection faster yes you're immu- immunomodulating and you're helping the skin right right and and and, and, and we can take this knowledge and create these novel compounds
0: that are going to be way more effective than a single thing right right so I think what's fascinating what, I, what you know Guillermo was telling me was of course we mine the traditional uh, um repositories of knowledge yes. right that yes the you know this indian population or this native population uh, was using these plants to treat this um and then we actually again the blending of tradition and science we can use science to both validate that discover how it's happening and then through that discovery be able to take that and discover, you know, other similar plants that have similar compounds or other groups of plants that have different compounds and, and so and it's... avoid using the same compound twice. I see what you're saying. Because okay, my yeah.
1: biggest pet peeve right yes. now, okay, in uh-huh. like when you see a botanical blend. Yes. Like you can see you would see like Two berberines right. in one blend. Right. You know. Now the chances chances are that those two berberines have the same mechanism of action. Right. So right. now you're exposing that bacteria to that same mechanism twice. Right. And now the chances of that
0: bacteria to become resistant to this berberine-like compound is greater. Right. Right. So I'll agree. Um, there, there is the notion uh, we were discussing this last night. People have this idea that yes. Uh, Bacteria can become resistant to to pharmaceutical antibiotics, but they yeah. cannot become uh, resistant to herbal antibiotics. Essentially, and that sadly, that is just not the, I case. Right. the case. I wish it was I wish yeah. it were true. But what we're finding is that they, of course, can. And so I know for myself, and, I, and anyone out there, I recommend uh, the ro- either the rotation of different. Yeah. herbals uh, uh, over time or the use of combinations of herbals. That work, and, 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 and because of this research, we can identify the ones that will work synergistically. Right, exactly, exactly. So again, we take that traditional knowledge and we augment it with the best scientific knowledge we have available. And it's like the and, perfect marriage. Right. Exactly.
1: And, and you know, and, and that's where, you know, the, the, like you said, the science meets the tradition. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the way we do it is we ask practitioners. Right. You know, herbalists. Right. And, and, and you know, for, we're doing an experiment right now looking for plants that kill MRSA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we have 150 different tinctures mm-hmm. you know and yeah. out of those 150 maybe five will work mm-hmm. maybe five will work but that doesn't mean that the other 145 don't work right maybe the other 145 are immunomodulating right or they are maybe they were they weren't extracted the right way right. or maybe that plant material wasn't good enough or you know you never know right. so we're not discounting the other 145 but we are focusing on the five that are highly effective right and then we're going to try to figure out mechanisms of action, and then
0: hopefully we can have a MRSA treatment within the next couple of years. Right, right. Because the prospect, right, I mean, and one reason this is so exciting to me is because if, if anybody has been paying attention to the, to the press and everything, um, you know, it is a severe and growing problem of antibiotic resistance. And there truly are nowadays in the U.S., where we are right now, cases of infections that are completely resistant to every available antibiotic and you know right? who the
1: biggest problem right now is bacterial resistance right. right by 2050 more people will die from bacterial resistance than cancer than than heart disease and
0: it's right around the corner and we need to start looking for this compound right so the very issue that modern medicine solved Is now on the verge of basically becoming an issue once again. 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 You know. But we'll say, you know, again, from sort of an ancestral or evolutionary or, or natural bent, if you will, by looking to... You know the plant kingdom, uh, by looking at the fung by looking at fungus, yeah. and also I would say by you know looking at animals themselves, totally. and multiple mechanisms as well. So it's not just can you kill the thing, but it's can you you know increase the immune function of the individual as well. And so one of my pet peeves, you know, to go back to cancer, is that all of the effort is on killing the cancer. Yeah. And and this is very slightly changing, but there's virtually no effort on strengthening the constitution, the immune system and the function uh, for the individual themselves, which in the long term, if we're talking further prevention, is what's ultimately going to prevent recurrence and metastases from happening. Because cancer is
1: happening to you and me as we speak. Absolutely. but what's happening at the same time is that our immune system is recognizing these mutated cells and eliminating them. Right, so
0: we talk about how we use cancer as a noun. You have cancer. When really we should be talking about it as a verb. You are cancering. Yeah. And everyone, anyone who's listening to this radio, assuming you're alive, um, is producing cancerous cells every day. But almost all of them, are caught by the immune system eliminated. and destroyed. Yeah. And so that cancer process isn't something that needs to be feared, but it needs to be balanced again, all about the balance and the the holism here by a strong and healthy immune system, immune system. that is able to take care of it. And the convent talking about prevention and talking about, you know, the conventional system, no we have mammograms, right? So which isn't prevention it's early detection yes. and listen there's value in early mammogram controversy aside yeah. for a moment <laughs> there is value in early detection so you know the earlier something bad can be found and treated the easier it the, is to deal the with the better the, the better the outcome yeah. but prevention is not early detection it's preventing the thing from occurring yeah, the, in the, the first the place the problem with cancer is the one that gets away from the immune system
1: right? and actually develops and continues to Uh, reproduce and divide and divide and divide until it becomes non-functional and, you know, invades systems. Right, exactly. Uh, That's the problem. And and a lot of the naturopathic treatments for cancer Mm -hmm. focus
0: on augmenting your own immune system. Yes, absolutely. Optimizing it. Well, that's why we talk about integrative because, listen, you know, there is a time in a, you know, I firmly and completely believe there's a time and a place for all treatments. Yes. Right. And so there's absolutely a time and a place for chemotherapy, for surgery, for radiation, for you name it, there's a time and a place where that treatment is indicated. But, uh, you know, just getting surgery, chemo, and radiation is an incomplete, it, it's incomplete treatment plan, right? And the people who are strong enough and pull through, and whose immune system picks up and then destroys the rest of those cancerous cells or holds them in check, is someone who doesn't get recurrence.
1: And, and the you way know? I like to explain it is mm-hmm. that you know, if I get you know if if, if I get into a car accident, mm-hmm. take me to an emergency department, right? You know, well, they'll fix my bone. They'll you know right. they'll they'll, right. they'll do surgery, right? But then. You know, or with like a heart attack. You right. know, modern medicine is amazing. You Absolutely. can open a rib cage yep. and replace, a bypass a clot, or yep. replace a, a valve. Yep. Or you know, yep. where, where the complementary comes in is that we can prevent that valve replacement or after someone has
0: had a valve replacement, we can make make them healthier faster. Right, so for example, like you mentioned a broken bone. So if you break a bone, they can reset it so the ends meet each other. They can go in and pin it so that it holds it together. or They can wire it together, right? But if the body, and I've seen this before, where the healing just doesn't happen, Right. Yeah. So they can't magically fuse those bones back together. They can just put them in the right places so that the body can then heal it. And so and that's important. And that needs to be done. Yes. But then no support is given to help make sure that the bones actually heal up again. Yeah. What's right? the micronutrient, you know, right. uh, the so, status of the person. Right. So diet, hormones, all these other aspects that have to happen for someone to heal properly. It, you know, it's like the, the way
1: we treat. Uh, 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 osteopenia or mm-hmm. or uh, you know we, we give this medicine that puts calcium on the outside of the bone mm-hmm. and you know you do the DEXA scan and that bone looks like it has more calcium right but it's not in the infrastructure of the bone it's just plastered on the outside
0: well in the most common drugs the bisphosphonates yeah. they prevent the breakdown of bone and you go well that i mean that sounds like a good idea don't break down your bones but people and i this was me too had this conception of the skeleton hanging you know on on the rack or whatever that it's these white bleached dead you know bones and real bone in your body in my body is yes that that skeleton that that is there but the bone is actually living, living tissue. tissue and it constantly needs to break down and rebuild and we sort of say like a building that's, you know, for there for a long time, when pieces get broken or damaged of that building, you actually need to tear them off and repair them again. And if you never actually took off anything that was broken, the building would be in bad shape. So to make the analogy, you're just putting spackling over, you know, rotten walls. Well, that's part, yeah, that's what ends up happening is, so the bisphosphonates block the bone breakdown and that you know prevents the bones from getting weaker but what you actually end up with is the bones look better on scans but they're not necessarily nice strong healthy bone they end structurally up getting healthy. structurally healthy bone you end up like this building, like you just said, you know, laying spackle down over rotten walls, and for, on the surface it looks good, but when you know someone leans against the wall, they just fall right fall right, right through, through, you know. Um, so. How did we get to this? How (laughs) how did we get to talking about that? uh, Well,
1: osteopenia or osteoporosis, you know. So, then what's what's the natural treatment? Right, right. Weight bearing exercise.
0: Well, absolutely. (laughs) Right. So, and I'll tell you this one of the red flag signs that your doctor should, uh, you know, check you for celiac disease is early onset osteoporosis. Wow. (laughs) So, if you have low bone density or osteopenia or osteoporosis, and you're not you know in your 60s 70s or, or older that should be a red flag to be checked for celiac disease is it no they yeah. but 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 if anybody out there is going like wow you know my my bones are really like unusually brittle or i've had more breaks than i should have or i've been diagnosed with low bone density and they're just like well, that's weird. Yeah, that's you know? weird. You know, yeah, even right.
1: though th- there is evidence, where's your evidence? Right. The
0: evidence-based medicine. Right, right. And the mechanism all makes sense of how yeah. that would occur and everything else. So, um, yeah, you know, we, we have this partial and incomplete treatment and and any treatment needs to support the body as, as part of it or, or it's incomplete. Yeah, and, right. and, and
1: you know, just to the uh, yesterday when Chris Masterton was talking about like there there is a connection between bone resorption right and hormones
0: right, which was completely. I'll tell you that was a new facet to me. Yeah. I hadn't und- uh, I hadn't known that before. And, and so so you know we
1: we're treating this 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 uh, living tissue mm-hmm. that is that has some you know uh, link to hormonal development. Right. So now you 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 see why hormone replacement. You know, could help with osteopenia. It's, right. it's insane,
0: right? Right. Oh, absolutely. You know, the the good news and simultaneously the bad news is the body, and this goes back to to our earlier discussion, is that every piece of the body is connected to every other piece of the body. Can you have problems solely in one area? Absolutely, absolutely. you can. But if you have a chronic condition, meaning it's been around for a while, it will have affected every other part of the body as well and yes the 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 main thing needs to be treated so for example a lot of people come to me for digestive issues and they want to just focus on their digestion because that's what hurts or that's what's not working very well and when we start exploring outside the digestion saying hey look you're not just a stomach that came in to see me you're a human being you know a lot of people who haven't made the mental shift kind of scratch their head and be like you know, why are you checking my hormones when I'm complaining of, you know, my stomach or digestive issues? Or, or you know,
1: or like the butterflies in the stomach, you right, know. Right. Could it be stress? Right. You know, could it be emotional? Right. Could it be there's, you know, things that we we completely gloss over and we might not might not even be in our radar. Right. You know,
0: psycho-emotional things affect your gut. Right. Well, absolutely. You know, and again, a lot of people go, well, you guys are quacks. And no, no, (laughs) no. There's actually a field of study called psychoneuroimmunology, which is all about the connection between the mind, the brain, the immune system uh, and, and much, much more, of course. Right. So the fact that your MD may not recognize that this is real. Uh, doesn't mean that it's not it, right? and,
1: and, and again you know treating that whole person you yes. know I love how you said you're not
0: a stomach that came to see me right you know? right you know all the, if you have digestive issues and they have been around for a while they will affect your brain through the brain-gut uh, connection the brain-gut axis they will eventually affect your nutrient status so yeah. then your you have too much or too little of certain nutrients, which will then go on to affect hormones, immune function, you know, every other system of the body. And the most effective, the most, you know, the most effective and the fastest amount of time is a comprehensive treatment that deals with all of those issues. At the same time. At the same Uh, time. Well, or… in a relatively in, in, in layers, so yes. you know, yeah, and and so
1: then, so then you know, to just go circle this completely back around, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, we we can see, you know, you, Doctor Google, you know, suggesting, mm-hmm. oh, you need to take this, you know, for this, yeah. or you need to take, you know. Uh, we need to have practitioners mm-hmm. who are guiding this treatment, you right. know, because you not because something is natural. Right. Not because something is, you know, do, claiming to do this doesn't mean that that's going to be treating the actual underlying cause, Right. And, right. And that's, you know, so the number one thing, if you if you tried paleo mm-hmm. and, and you, you know, you're 90 percent healthier, but there's like that 10 percent that you haven't got to. Right. Go see a practitioner.
0: Right. Well, you know, listen, and I understand, okay most people's experience most people haven't been to an nd most yep. people haven't been to a good integrative md they've just been to your run of the mill md which again they are exceedingly good at treating infectious diseases acute conditions you break a bone or you have an issue I or, or life threatening concerns you know we always say listen never come to a naturopath if you've been in an act like an accident and broken something uh, if you're on death's door like please go to the hospital yeah. that is what they're great at doing but they are truly very very poor at treating these complex and chronic issues and you know most people haven't had the you know haven't had the experience of going to someone who is actually really knowledgeable about treating those kind of issues and has the latitude um, to actually treat them yeah do something actionable right yeah right so please, you know, we find a lot, if you're someone in the ancestral movement, uh, a lot of people have kind of sworn off doctors because it's yeah. like, well, and I completely understand. Well, you know, I go to my doctor and all he does is lecture me about my cholesterol and tell me things that, that totally uh, have no bearing for me or don't work for me. So why am I going to bother going back to that person? I completely get it. But Having a good healthcare practitioner on your side, on your team, harnessing our or someone like us, our knowledge base, our clinical experience, our understanding of what's going on for you. Um, Again, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, you know, know?
1: as a a naturopathic student, I cannot give medical advice. Sure, sure. You know, so one of the first things that I wrote on my blog was a three-part series on how to select a practitioner. Yeah. Because, you know, it doesn't have to be an ND. Right, you know Chris Gresser, he's an acupuncturist. Right, you know uh, I I like to say that you heal. The kitchen. You heal mom. You heal the whole
0: family. Sure. So, so does it have to be an ND to be a true healer? Oh no, 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 no. no, Absolutely not. No. Please don't take that away. That you must see an ND by all means. No, but you need to see someone who has this more comprehensive and holistic view of what health is. Who has, in my opinion, a good scientific understanding and a traditional complement their traditional understanding at the same time. Um, Someone who actually will listen to you and you have a good relationship with. Yeah, because
1: one of the greatest things that, you know, like another thing that I hear a lot is like, my doctor is so holistic. Right. You know, he didn't want to give me the statin. He wanted to give me cinnamon. Right. You know, you don't have a statin deficiency. You don't have a cinnamon deficiency. Right. You know, so as long as you find a practitioner Mm -hmm. that is actually trying to connect the dots and remove that obstacle to health, Mm -hmm. you will get better. Yes. Yeah. You know, you will get better. Yeah. And, and, uh, and just seek that help, you know, whether it's for cancer, diabetes, it doesn't matter, you know, it, it, brain fog or digestion issues.
0: Well, I mean, there's two sides here. On the one, look, getting we always tell people getting healthier helps everything, yes. right? So whether it's cancer or headaches or whatever, like being just generally it's – so the analogy is this, right? You have a plant. No matter what, to bring it back to plants, yeah, plants right? Yeah. <laughs> no matter what is going, specifically is going on with that plant, that plant needs good soil, water, and sunlight. Yeah. Because no plant can grow without so, you know, without good soil, water, or sunlight. Now, you may not actually fix what is the specific issue that's going on, but the plant will be healthier for having those three things attended to. So, you know, people's, ba- the basic idea of getting these fundamentals of health in order uh, is spot on. But then, of course, once that's taken care of, we also have to look more to the specifics of what's going on for that individual. So right? yesterday, we were walking back from lunch, and I was right. trying to pick Dr.
1: Gerstner's, uh brain, asking, you know, what's the lab work that you start with? Right. And you can get very complicated. Sure. And you can get very expensive yes. very fast. Yes.
0: And then you forget, oh, what about diet? Right. What about sleep? Right. What about the fundamentals? So definitely some of the functional medicine practitioners or some of the integrated practitioners, especially and this is not calling names, but especially if they come from the MD world, um, still are very much focused on on the higher level, inter- the testing and the higher level interventions. And again, those all have their place. But if you don't start with the foundation and for me, it's, you know, a good, healthy diet uh, movement and exercise enough uh, um uh, hold on a second, I lost myself there. <laughs> Diet and exercise and sleep and stress management relationships and, and relationships and connections if those fundamentals aren 't in place you 're really trying to build your castle on quicksand, basically yeah. you know, and I would rather see someone instead of spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars on supplements. Uh, make sure and, and again there's a time and a place there's for a all of those place. things so, and there's a time but, and a place for pharmacological agents oh absolutely yeah. you know we'll have I, you know you'll, you will have this experience as a doctor of having people come to you and say like I will not take any medications yeah. <laughs> and you want to say like first of all I applaud uh, you, you know your conviction and, and your desire um, to, to try and heal things naturally as much as possible uh, but there is a time and a place for medications There is, and, and the problem is not taking medications again, it's that you, it, it's not a, as much as possible solving the problem that you're taking that medication for in the first place. Yeah. You know, so we see a lot of people, uh, I do at least, with Hashimoto's or thyroid dysfunctions. um, And many of them, uh, if they're on thyroid medication, desperately want to get off of thyroid medication. And so we have to have a discussion that the point is not to get off thyroid medication. The point is to have a high quality of life and to do as much Underlying root cause resolution as possible, and and if you and if you have to take
1: you know a, a hormone replacement right. to feel healthy and to have right. a productive life, right, and to be there for your relatives and to have the relationships and to be a member of society,
0: yes. You should should. should do that. In my opinion, you should do that. Because I've seen people and it's like, well, you could choose to be miserable and off thyroid medication or you could choose to thrive and be on thyroid medication. Now, again, in the context of this whole conversation, simply taking thyroid medication is not going to solve all of Uh your problems, right? But uh, at the end of the day, the goal is always high quality of life, and to have taken care of as many of the underlying problems as possible. Uh, that's possible. Just, you know? Just so you can be happy. Right, right. Because the goal, you know, I mean, the reality, and who knows, I mean, I know uh, Peter Diamandis, in charge of the XPRIZE Foundation, uh, has set one of his goals to live to be 700 years old. <laughs> right? And who knows? Uh, Ray Kurzweil, another kind of futurist guy, has said that he believes that if you can survive the next 20, 30, 40 years, that essentially science will have come to a place where you can have an indefinite Lifespan that through genetic, uh, you know, uh, manipulation and, and all of the, and, and regenerative technologies and all of these things that we can solve. Who knows if that's true, right? But uh, you know, all of us uh, sooner or later uh, will <laughs> will will come to an end. Uh, obviously, we all want the longest lifespan possible, but what we're seeing happening today is uh, we are extending lifespan at the cost of quality of yeah. life. So many people, you know, I have, uh, you know, my father was in a uh, assisted living facility and I I got to uh, see a lot of the elderly folks who were there. And some of them were very spry and very active and very healthy and and both in mind and in body. But many of them were very, very sick. Um, And uh, please don't take this the wrong way. But most, you know, that that I'm saying that, that they should have died or something. But what people want is Year and What what the saying is, right? Not just years of their life, but life in their years, <laughs> yes, yeah. right? They want, they want to live a long time, but they also want that high quality of life. And so, again, all this circling we do, but naturopathic medicine is always, and holistic medicine is always circling. So we come back to saying these foundations must be in place and this comprehensive treatment must be in place. And the, the problem uh, with just this superficial medicine or just symptom-based medicine is... That it doesn't address these issues,
1: you because you you're continue you you eliminate the symptom right, and that keeps you in that maladaptive situation and that in that in the wrong place with the maladaptation right. You continue the maladaptation. You continue plucking your hair like the
0: monkeys right in, in uh, but you're so you are still could, in the cage, right? So you could give them restraints that wouldn't let them pluck their hair, or you could sedate them so that they're not, uh, they don't do it, or you could, I don't know, you could give them, you can uh, shave them, right? <laughs> yeah. Or no, or you could give them medicine that makes their hair grow back or something, right? But fundamentally, the root causes get them out of the cage. Yeah, and they're still in the cage, right? So the quality of life is not any better, but right. they have hair, right? Right? Who cares? Right? Well, you know, we'll <laughs> yeah. say, but yeah, I, I completely, and so. That's why we come to the ancestral health symposium because by looking at what made our ancestors healthy, the, midst, the mismatch, right? We look at what can we do to give these baseline, uh, uh, um, you know, drivers of health. What I call the health foundations. Uh, you know, uh, what can we do? And we know. At its root, it's fairly simple, though. Be, though that doesn't make it easy to implement. And it's like that. One. Of, yeah, it's so simple, you right. know, to change your diet. Right. But how difficult is it to change your diet? Absolutely. <laughs> the last talk I was in today was uh, Sarah Valentine giving a talk on sleep, no, and, sleep. and and fundamentally it's straightforward and simple what needs to be done. Sleep but, more. but but <laughs> Well, sleep more and the times that you sleep and some other factors around it. But yeah, absolutely. The number one piece was to acknowledge that sleeping is important. Yeah. And then she said, you know, uh, one of the biggest takeaways was, you know, we set bedtimes for our kids, but we don't set bedtimes for ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> and each of us, you know, we need to set our own bedtimes. And then again, it's simple, but not easy. Or right. y- or or you know, in going back to kids, you know, yes. it's like having
1: uh, kids menus, you know, and now you're giving the power to the
0: kid to select what they're going to eat. Right. I know this is this is a you know a difficult situation, but we can definitely say you know in general, at least I've been told in France, for example, there are no kids menus, or, yeah. or at least in more traditional French uh, dining, uh, they basically have what the adults have now. You know, again, not sounds to put, simple. Well, <laughs> but not to put the blame on the parents, of course. But the their society as a whole, all aspects of it, at least, you know, did support this. So it wasn't the parents having to fight against the the conditioning that their kids are getting through school, through television, commercials, through yeah. commercials on television, through what their their friends are eating, through all of these different pieces. Could this really palatable foods right. that food scientists create right. to make you want more right yeah. right so they don't fight against those things and and one of the things that's coming out of this ancestral health symposium to the 2016 that I'm that I deeply deeply like is the the move away from just individual health what do yeah. I need to do to make myself healthy and again that is absolutely an important piece but once each of us has become healthier The next step has got to be that what can we do to make our society and all societies around the world Healthier, because face it, one thing that's come up that's completely true is this is a very self-selected audience that came to this conference. This is also a selected, self-selected audience that's going to go ahead and listen to this podcast. Yes. <laughs> are people who care about their health, who have some understanding that these things influence them, them their health, who have some money that they can and, and transportation and all these other factors that they can make these changes, that they can choose to eat different foods, that they can have the money. To choose they they, those they have foods. the money to choose those better foods. But, you right? know,
1: and, and, and I, I can imagine myself listening to a podcast like like this uh, and, yeah. like, nodding my head, you know. Right. right. But what happens when we take these ideas, yes. okay, Right. and then we we make them, you know, uh, we translate them to Spanish or, you know, we, right. we educate our patients, okay. And then we have, like, uh, like a, I have this idea of doing a, a blog post and eating on a… Food stamp budget yes. b- budget for thirty days, right. eating an ancestral type diet. Right. Okay. And and now you have the power to convince your patients that you can eat with a food stamp budget. Right. And eat better than a surgeon who's eating out
0: every day. <laughs> and now that's powerful. Right. Right. Absolutely. And we also have to acknowledge, though, that still uh, there was a great article. Um, I linked to it on my Facebook page. I can put the link in here, but it was to an article uh, on the website Precision, Precision Nutrition, yeah. and uh, and it was just that. Um, I don't know if it was thirty days, but but uh, um, I'm sorry, I don't remember if he was a nutritionist or a fitness professional, but he was sort of some way in in this field. And he decided that he was going to make a healthy food on a food stamp budget, and he was totally able to do it. But then he yeah. recognized that he again had some of these factors. He he knew what to do. He knew how to cook. He had transportation so that he could easily get to the places where the food you have was. A, you have a
1: membership to your big box club. You know right. that you paid yearly right. to get a discount. Right. You know. Right. So and then you
0: have literacy, and right. you don't have to work two jobs. Right. All of those factors. So it is important for us and for anyone listening yes to educate yourself to make these choices but fundamental and i and i do believe that this is a grassroots movement that as more and more people come on board whether, you know, and again, you don't have to be a paleo person or ancestral health symposium. The basic tenets are, you know, to eat real food, whole food, to minimize the junk food and the added, you know, sugars and other uh, artificial compounds that are put into foods. Get back to, you know, fruits and vegetables and meats if you eat them. And if you eat grains, you want them in the least processed forms. And the same and more for, traditional w- right. tre- uh, way of preparing right, them. Right, right. You know. That you need to move your body more. You don't necessarily need to go to CrossFit or hot yoga or whatever that spinning or whatever it is. But you need human. You know, bodies need movement, and we need to move them. And we all, most of us, need to sleep more. And most of us need to ways to compensate and deal for stress in our lives. And you know, and and
1: have have the paradigm shift of. Instead of thinking of food as what should I eat to right. get healthier, what right. should I eat to lose weight, right. have the paradigm shift of what should I avoid to be healthier, what should I avoid to, you know, to, be, to, to lose weight. and right. Once you make that shift, uh-huh. then everything becomes clearer and now you're going to start discovering you know, yourself and mm. how you're going to become healthier.
0: You know, I'll agree and disagree with you, Guillermo. That uh, that yes, we want to be aware of the the problem foods. Uh, we also do want to focus. Uh, so most commonly, we want to focus on the things we can eat because one of the common, uh, you know, concerns when we first talk to someone is when, and we're saying okay you should you know take this out of your diet and take that mm-hmm. out of your diet the most common concern is like what what is there to eat and it's reframing from saying yes there are certain things uh, that i think you know for the most part every human being should avoid and then there are certain things that certain individuals should avoid individuality yeah yeah but we also need to focus on what it is to eat and this is part of education and part of you know the fact that a lot of people these days don't know how to cook food it, it you, 100% right 100%. you know so we can we can create this change as individuals and and you know Gently spreading the word and, and bringing more people into these basic concepts of eating real food and moving our bodies and getting enough sleep and managing our stress and building our social networks. And again, this kind of deep connection because so many people feel so isolated yeah. these days. And, you know, humans are social animals and we're not we really suffer. We're not tigers who kind of go off by themselves wolves, yeah. or we're wolves instead. Right. Or you know, whatever <laughs> we want to call it that um, We need that close connection and we suffer very deeply and many people um, there's many benefits to modern society that we're not predestined and we don't have to do what our parents did and we're not stuck in a little village or a place with no chance of getting out of it or but the downside to that freedom is is for many people a tremendous disconnect and so one of the great things about coming to ancestral health symposium and i've heard this said several times is I'm not alone. People have said, there are other people who think like I think, who, 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 you know, at home, everybody thinks I'm crazy for doing, for eating this way or doing this thing. Uh, But, but actually connecting with, with, you know, flesh and blood human beings. Yeah, it's, it's right. fantastic.
1: You know, and, and, and like you said, you know, it's so awesome to have all these nat- naturopaths here. Yes. You know, and then you find, you know, next door to you, there's, you know, Terry Walls,
0: right? Who's an MD, right? Who thinks
1: just like you. Right. And she's treating disease just like a naturopath. Right. And that's amazing.
0: Well, and again, you know, to to you know to our MD brethren, uh, you know most of them are incredibly yeah. frustrated. You know, I, I was speaking with a, a doctor who treats a lot of diabetes uh, the other week, and he was expressing you know extreme frustration with the the whole system from insurance to his colleagues to you know the standards of care and the ways forced to practice that he knows that he's providing very limited benefit to his patients, and this guy's trying to do the very best that he can by his patients, but he's extremely frustrated. Yeah. Well, how you know? much can you do in five minutes, 15 minutes? Right. Right. And again, people aren't educated. So, he, you know, he'll mention, uh, cause we all, you know, this isn't about guilt or blame, but we have to recognize our, uh, as individuals, our part in the system too. And, you know, many of his patients, he's saying, you know, if you change your diet, uh, you know, again, uh, Guillermo and I, I, I hear believe that the fundamental treatment for diabetes or many, many other <laughs> things is what you put in your mouth. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you don't uh, adjust what you put in your mouth then no matter what it is even shots of insulin it's still at best helpful but not not the, truly the numbers on that paper are going to change right you know, you know but not truly beneficial and and that's why uh, you know in the conventional community uh, diabetes is considered irreversible yeah. and progressive meaning that it's just going to get worse and worse over time and you know um uh, um, you know, so this guy, uh, this, this doctor who treats a lot of diabetes, he was saying, you know, uh, patients come in and again, he mentions, Hey, uh, fundamentally you guys need to change diet. And he's kind of exploring, are there some ways that I can get more education? And he's saying, you know, a lot of people are just saying, nah, yeah. you know, I don't want to change my diet. And so if you don't want to change your diet, what other option well, is there? Yeah. You what know, are the options. then you're, you are, you're either doomed to do absolutely nothing or take the medication. So so you know, at, at one point at what point
1: do you, you know, as a as a physician, you know, first do no harm. Right. You know, but at what point you're so frustrated right. that you just throw your papers in the air and just leave the conversation. Or you just go, Okay, here's your metformin, so you're right. not you're not
0: dying of right. ketoacidosis. Well in that look yeah. in that in that scenario, doing the least amount of harm is giving the person medication. Yeah right yeah. because if they want if someone will fundamentally not change uh, all these basic determinants and they won't dive in and get to the root cause of what's going on so again i deal with a lot of autoimmune disease and if someone won't make these changes or won't dive in and do it then doing the least harm in many cases is the drugs that they've yeah. been given because otherwise the disease progresses, the damage happens, the quality of life goes down and potentially that person's life is compromised by it. So it's it's a symbiotic relationship, the one of patient and uh, doctor. Right, right. So you know, you know, it, it can feel very overwhelming. So we can do what we can do um, as individuals. We can change ourselves. But as we change ourselves, the intention is to hit that tipping point that Malcolm Gladwell talks yeah. about. You know, in my talk this year, I talked about environmental toxicants or environmental chemicals. Great talk, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. Um, it will just for everybody. Uh, if it's, it's going to go up on YouTube for anybody to watch. One of the things I absolutely uh, am a hundred percent behind AHS is they, they, purposefully tape all of these talks and make them free and available to the public and, to spread and the you, message. you can go watch previous years right too. absolutely yeah. um, so if the talk is available uh, when this podcast goes out I'll also put the link up if it's not um, just You know, please keep it in mind. uh, uh, You know, if you follow us on Facebook or uh, you're on our mailing list, uh, we'll let you know when that video uh, is available. But one of the things I talked about is uh, there was uh, a compound known as BPA, bisphenol A. Um, It's used in plastics. And, you know, you may remember hearing a lot of plastic water bottles are are touting the fact that they're BPA BPA free free now. Right. That did not occur because the federal government came down and said the data shows that this is a toxic. And troublesome compound and we're going to ban it. That did not come down because the companies themselves said maybe we shouldn't be using this compound yeah. because it's toxic and poisonous. That came about because enough people at the grassroots level turned around and said, no, thank you. I don't want that in I remember flipping my water the bottles. Bottle, you know, yeah. flipping the bottle and saying, yeah. is
1: this the, you know, what was the code? You know, and like right. looking for the bottles that were made without BPA? Right and now everything is BPA free. right? But Uh, that
0: was the second part of the story. (laughs) Right, right. Well, sure, I mean, the the unfortunate thing is that the industry turned around and replaced BPA with a very similar chemical known as BPS or bisphenol S. And unfortunately, preliminary data is saying that bisphenol S is basically just as bad (laughs) as bisphenol A. So, hey, uh, we do recommend you know, stainless steel water bottles where you can, because then, you you know, you don't worry about a- any issue with plastics, uh, you know, glass uh, where it's appropriate. Right. Um, uh, and taking uh, s- sensible steps. But the, the point for me was that this change didn't come from the top no. down. It came from the bottom up
1: because they couldn't sell those bottles. So right. then they listened to the market. Right. Right and, and and you know and that's another piece of this ancestral thing. Yes, that you have so many points of view. Yes, you not only MDs, not only NDs. You have people in the sustainability part. You know, yes. uh, we have a ruminant, uh, a PhD in ruminants. Yes, and he's talking about why you need to feed your your cows grass. Yes, and you can go now to a lot of restaurants and they'll have grass fed meat. Right. And right. and that didn't come because it's easier to produce or no. That came because we demanded yes. as as and I blame Paleo for this. Yes. You know, that you know, we wanted better quality meat and now restaurants have oh you can you can solve for two dollars to right. a grass fed patty. Right, right. And now that's sustainable, that's better for you, better omega three ratios and and, and and this is because we spoke with our dollars.
0: Yes. So as individuals so you know to bring this, I'm saying this a yeah. lot in this conversation, yeah. but we're circling around so many important issues. But to bring this back, um, the one of the things that I've deeply enjoyed about this particular ancestral health symposium is that the talk is shifting to, again, not only what we can do as individuals, which we were just saying is powerful by shifting where we spend, it's being the lucky, affluent, educated people that we are, we have the capacity, and I do believe the obligation, to make these better choices which as individuals amount to very little but when many of us come together yeah. to make the same choices there's basically nothing we can't change we can, yeah. you know and so the first step is changing taking this information whether it's you know looking at these evolutionarily inspired health ways ways to eat better sleep better stress better exercise better connect with communities better and implementing those in your lives whether it's seeking out and again we're seeing the medical system itself starting to change not because the ama or the major heads are driving this change but because people are going to their mds and their doctors first of all they're not going to their mds and they're seeking out alternate quote unquote alternative providers like Like me and like soon to be you and many of our colleagues. And they're also going to their MDs and saying, enough, I'm not doing this anymore. I want something different. And the shift in their dollars is causing a change in the system. One of the focuses right now I have at the clinic, because Mm -hmm. I'm actually seeing
1: patients through the clinic at Mm -hmm. the school, Uh is chronic pain. Right. And we have people that are going into this uh, – I don't like to say alternative because it, medicine either works or it doesn't. Right, you know? right, right. But it this complementary type of treating uh, chronic pain, okay, and they're going outside of their insurance model yep. because they've been in pain for so long and right. they don't want it anymore. Right. So they go and they seek this treatments. And, and they get better and it's not just a pill. It's, right. you know, it could be massage, it could be acupuncture, it could be prolotherapy injections. Right. Or, or it could be just mind-body medicine. Absolutely. Or it could be all of them, uh, uh, all uh, of the above combined. Yes. And, and now they're getting better and now they're changing their diet because they got better because we knew what we were doing yeah now you get buy-in and now we can push that sustainability thing and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger
0: yes Yeah. so people ask you know like you said they go outside their insurance which again we have to recognize um, isn't always available for many people so people ask you know how can more of these therapies be covered by insurance and the bottom line is by you going outside your insurance <laughs> and asking for these these therapies and being willing to pay for them and changing the system and as the system changes then many of these therapies will come back into and I, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm gonna throw the, the burden back on NDs
1: too yeah let's write case studies Let's write, you know, case series and let's put evidence behind these treatments that we know work. Fair. You know, and and if we amass this information and we have PubMed results after PubMed results that eating an anti-inflammatory diet is good for A, B, C, and D. Yeah. Now the insurance companies cannot look away from this and they have to, you know, reimburse for these therapies. Right,
0: right. So, you know, yes, it does mean in the short term here and- and hopefully the short term is not very long, but it does mean in the short term that to get act for the most part to get access to these therapies, to get access to many people like Guillermo and I doing the high quality level of care means that many people have to step outside the insurance system yeah. and be willing to pay for it. Now, the huge discussions all by itself, but by taking those steps by changing your patterns we change what food producers are doing we change what food manufacturers are doing and thereby we change how the government is interacting with these organizations we change the medical system and what it's doing and we're really creating you know a bottoms up revolution now yes absolutely would it be more humane and faster if we could get the top to help us to yeah. help us do that so many of these people again who don't have transportation who don't know how to cook who don't have the education who don't have the pieces who don't have the the discretionary dollars right would it help them absolutely are they going to suffer more in this bottom down, This bo- sorry, this bottom up approach that's yeah. going on? Unfortunately, the answer is yes. But again, as individuals, I mean, hey, if the president or, or uh, you know, huge movers and shakers happen to be listening to this podcast, please, please make these changes, right? But most of us who are listening, you know, even Guillermo and I, you know, we're just individual doctors. and you know uh, um, to him you know we graduate medical school so full of enthusiasm and we're gonna change the system and and certainly I hope that happens but at the end of the day you know we're trying to treat the people who are in front of us who have come to us for help Um, and to the people who are listening here you know one of the biggest complaints here at the 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 AHS is you know I've bought in and I've seen so many benefits from making these changes how can I convince (laughs) my spouse my family my mom, you know, my, uh, you know, you know, the people around me to make these changes. The bottom line is you cannot, you cannot, you cannot, Um, you know, Guillermo and I wrestle with this when we see patients, how can we make them make these changes that would help them so much? And the answer is we can't, we can't, you know, people have to be, they have to come to a place where they're ready and willing to make the changes before they will make the changes. And so, you know, for anyone out there, um, you can become an example and you can gently educate people. So I think many of us, both as doctors and as people who found great health benefits from many of these things, we can become you know, irritating evangelists yes. like, "Hey, you're alive and you're standing next to me, so let yeah. me tell you how awesome this yeah. is." Write a,
1: t- a you know tweet about it. Put right. a, a post Instagram pictures of your grass-fed burger.
0: You know, but so so there's a difference between you know living the example and proselytizing for people. So you know, uh, when I graduated, it was like, "Man, I know all this great stuff and I can help people, um, and I'm just going to go tell them about it." And you quickly realize kind of how futile that is. Now, you can tell people and you can mention it. Hey, you know, someone's complaining of, for me, you know, and the the type of people I work with, an autoimmune disease or a digestive issue. Hey, did you know that there are other options besides just taking immunosuppressant drugs for your rheumatoid arthritis? Are you interested in hearing about them? And if they say no... And the hard thing is you need to respect that and step away and then you can show them again through your life and and your experiences the the health benefits that you're getting from seeing an integrative practitioner, from taking care of your health at a fundamental level. And maybe, or maybe not, they'll come around. But when they, when and if they do come around, that's the time to really, truly yeah. begin educating them. And then that's that's our job as you know, uh, me as a future doctor, and you as a doctor, Right. docere. Right, know, we gotta right. teach. Right, but uh, you know, and that's all absolutely true. And then, but again, the the beauty, this movement never would have occurred without social media. Yeah right so you and i probably without any social media probably would never have bumped into each other because no. you're in arizona and i'm in washington and, and right? kinsey, uh you right. connected us through a tweet <laughs> right so shout out to kinsey jackson yeah. kinsey why are you not at the ancestral health symposium um but uh but yeah you know the, this web of connection and the fact that we can reach out to people all over the place and share knowledge is pretty magical so Guillermo let's bring it back a little bit and uh-huh. we've been bringing yeah. it back bring all it over back the all place but long, yeah. um but we started or, or we got into your work with plant medicines and we were talking about how uh the science and the tradition are are meeting yeah. so um you were talking about another interesting experiment with echinacea.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, so echinacea is this very famous plant. Yes. You know, and it, a lot of people know of this plant. And the, the the craziest thing about echinacea is that if you do a search on PubMed, yes. you probably have a 50-50 of good results with echinacea yes. and bad results with echinacea. Yeah. So what we are doing, okay, we are looking at echinacea. We're basically taking the plant mm-hmm. and testing different parts of the plant, Mm -hmm. with different extraction methods, okay, against rhinovirus-infected
0: cells and normal cells. So rhinovirus, rhino means nose, so rhinos are called, rhinoceroses are called rhinoceroses because of their nose, right? So a rhinovirus is uh, primarily a virus that's gonna affect the the nose or the upper respiratory system. So the common cold. Right, common colds and things like that. Yes, and
1: and we're looking at what effect does, does this echinacea plant yes. have on these cells. And we are finding out that depending on if we're using the, the the seed or if we're using the root or we're using the leaves or, you know, what are we using it has deep and different impacts
0: in these cytokines that are induced within the cell. So, so again, just for anybody who doesn't know, a cytokine is an immune chemical. So your immune cells talk to one another and talk to the body as a whole Through their own essentially little hormones, right, and those are called known as cytokines. So, so what
1: this means is that maybe those papers that were not good, you know, Mm -hmm. when it came to echinacea, right, maybe they were using the wrong model to test the echinacea. Sure, you know, it's like, you know, people might use echinacea to fight a bacterial infection, yep. even though echinacea is not a true antibiotic. Right, it, so echinacea is not particularly an antibiotic. It's, it upregulates uh, your immune system. It makes your immune system stronger, so, exactly. So it's, it's functioning against the bacteria but by modulating your immune system to have yeah. a higher response to that bacteria. Right, exactly. So clearing the bacteria fast. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's not a true antibiotic, but you can use it to treat a bacterial infection. Right. So maybe they were using the wrong model to test you know that 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 uh, cytokine or that you know that activity of the cell yeah. and and that's going to elucidate so many things because we're finding that depending on the part of the plant that you use certain things might be up regulated or down
0: regulated right so the plant different parts of the plant and different compounds from the plant do a variety of different things to the immune system. Yes, right.
1: And and you know, and the coolest thing about this about the plant medicine is that uh, one of the plants that we study, Melissa officinalis, mm-hmm. you know, also
0: also called lemon
1: balm. Lemon balm. Lem-hmm. You know, it's a potent antiviral. Yes. And every time we write we write a grant trying to get funding to continue investigating this plant. Yes. They, you know, NIH came back and said, "Great results." Call us when you get the molecule, the okay. the the one thing that is
0: making this plant tick. So back to the idea that there is a single thing, single thing, a single thing that does does whatever you're looking for, right? So what what happens when you try and isolate so the single thing? The,
1: every time we we get close to fractionating the plant and finding this single thing, yeah. Okay, so we get it to work in,
0: against the virus, yes. but it becomes toxic. So when you take that one molecule in isolation, yes, it kills the virus, but it kills the cell too, which, yeah. you know, that doesn't work very well. You know, and uh-huh. that's what they're
1: forcing us to do. We're, yeah. we're, they're forcing us to continue, find, you know, to continue looking for this one thing. When making a simple tincture or a simple extract of this whole
0: plant yeah. is as effective right. and non-toxic. Well, mo- we would say, well, as or, more, or effective, more effective, right? Yeah. So we would say, um, dang it, man. I lost my train of thought there. That was great. Um, uh, oh, the, you know, the the idea. Uh, that it's one compound. That it's one compound, right? It's, it's not true. Right. And, and it makes
1: sense because this plant is creating so many things, so many things thousands of phytochemicals yeah. at the same time. And is it one thing or is it the synergism with of all these things that, you know, I like to believe that it's a synergistic thing right. that is happening within the plant, right. that it helped help the plant adapt to the environment. So it's a multifactorial thing that is helping this plant fight this virus. Absolutely absolutely and, yeah and yeah. you know it and, and when you start you know uh surgically splicing these different phytochemicals and you have this one thing it doesn't work as well as the whole
0: plant right right so we come back to this idea again that, that it's not about one thing it's about the 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 sum is greater the wait, wait, wait. how does that how does that go that yeah, yeah. the the whole is, is greater than, than the, the sum parts. of its parts yeah. right you take those pieces apart and oh that's where I was gonna go, I came back to it. So you find that when you dice down to the, the very specific molecule, it's essentially ineffective. I mean that because yeah. yes, it kills the virus, but it kills the cell. And so the conventional system may say, well, see, it doesn't work, yeah, right? Exactly. It's not, it's not yeah. usable, but when we back out and we look at the, the mixture of all these compounds that the plant produces, we find that it is effective, but you cannot isolate it to one, to one single thing. Piece. and then it
1: gets better than that you know mm-hmm. because like we know that melissa officinalis is really good at, at antiviral activity mm-hmm. okay but if you prepare it the wrong way you might lose the antiviral components mm. you know so now imagine all the plants that we have you know antibacterial antiviral you know you, you we got to start thinking about like the extraction method, sure. you know, the, the the growing conditions, you know, uh, what if you know growing it organic and you know in and uh, pampered and you know it's not producing the endogenous substances. Right. What if you know you might have a plant that is very active, but it was grown with pesticides and things, and now you're attacking a different system within the human. So right, right, we have to be very conscious that the plant material that we're using. Is extracted properly, right? Comes from a re- reputable source, right? And then, and then that that medicine is prepared
0: the right way, right? And then, so this is where you know some of the very traditional people will rail against science that we don't need it, yeah. Right? <laughs> that um, you know tradition can serve us as as you know it can give us all of the answers. And of course, you know if there's one piece of wisdom I can impart to you, impart to you, Guillermo, it's that. You know, no one has all the answers and you you will never know enough. Right. There is this quote from Hippocrates. uh, Hippocrates is considered the father of medicine. This old Greek guy, basically, from, you know, B.C. times, basically, who said the art is long. The art being uh, medicine. I'm sorry. Yes. Being medicine, uh, the 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 art of of learning and practicing medicine takes forever essentially and life is short yeah. so there's never maybe if we live to 700 who knows yeah, but <laughs> but there's never enough time you will never know everything that you need to know and and you know my patients are constantly pushing me to expand my knowledge and learn things because you think aha I have the answer and then this you, will work and then you
1: pigeonhole yourself into one treatment right and then you know the evidence comes in maybe
0: it wasn't that treatment and you know it's, right. it's a big mess right you know we're seeing the, you know again to bring it back we're seeing the evolution of the ancestral health movement and we're leaving some people behind who are hyper focused on one issue and not adapting to, as more knowledge comes out yeah. so I've always told people listen unlike a politician I'm definitely going to change my mind right as more information becomes available for example I was an early proponent of high dose vitamin D yeah it sounded great the preliminary data we had the mechanisms everything sounded wonderful I was like awesome everyone should take tons of vitamin D then we start seeing clinical results. It uh, doesn't seem to be really panning out. The data continues to roll in. Uh, those early, uh, those early, you know, uh, results and implications don't seem to be panning out. Now I've changed my mind, so I definitely advocate, you know, lower. Le- again, many we people s- need some supplementation, we still but check the levels, right? You know, but uh, you know, I'm we're no, I'm no, for most people, I'm no longer advocating very large doses of vitamin D. And people could say, you know, in, in politicians, we go, well, you're flip-flopping. Well, whatever, That's we're not going to discuss that. But your doctor should be changing their mind, should be updating them. So I'm sure on your blog, one of the things you have listed is your doctor should be continually educating themselves and open-minded. Open, you know, because it's science, it's not religion. Yes.
1: And, you know, religion is faith-based. Yes. And I cannot convince someone of something if it's faith-based. Right. With science, if the evidence changes,
0: as a scientist, I have to change with the evidence. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. So your doctor should be, op- yes, open-minded. They should be paying attention to the science and they should change their mind from time to time. And, and we should be reading papers that contradict our views. Well, that's another piece that the Ancestral Health Symposium has stepped up this time Completely. in bringing in uh, people with contradictory viewpoints because... Um, one of the most and I'll say this to people out there on, on social media and the internet it is human nature to want to surround ourselves with people um, and you know thoughts and opinions and various things that all uh, um, help that, that all agree with what what we believe each other in the the back right right oh yes yes exactly you're right yes everyone around me says the same things therefore it must be right you know the difficult thing to do and the truly scientific thing to do um, is at least from time to time not necessarily constantly but at least from time to time be examining what people who hold the opposite point of view are doing because again no one has a monopoly on the truth and no one has all of the truth and even if you know the other camp is 99% wrong there's probably a tiny kernel in there that you could use to further you know evolve your understanding and, and you know It happens a lot with us the, In the naturopathic
1: community You know mm-hmm. Because it, Like we'll We'll never be Sciencey enough For the MDs Sure And then At least for me In my case With all the research You know yeah. I'm probably never Going to be Nature cure enough right. For the nature cure You know Right And as I, as I'm You know Mexican American I mm-hmm. have to know about You know Christina And I have to know About Oprah Yeah You know I have to know And I'm never going to be Mexican enough For the people in Mexico I'm never going to be American enough For the people in America America. Sure. So I have to know about you know Fleming, and I have to know about Priestnets. Mm-hmm. Okay. And to come to this place right here, where I'm going to be like right in the middle of the of the bolt camps, you know, and I have to be versed enough in the science to talk to the scientific people, and then you know uh, enough in the traditional medicine to talk to the traditional people. Right. And it's just like this balance in order to be able to take. The best of both camps and merge it together and bring this medicine to the forefront.
0: Well, I was going to say, I just I wanted you you brought it there, but I was going to say, listen, you know, for me, I'm not concerned about about changing anybody's mind anymore. Yeah. Like if MDs think I'm a quack, I don't care. If other people think that I'm, you know, a heretic to the natural health movement, I don't care. The reality, though, is that both sides have tremendous value. And the point, you know, both sides are missing some of that value by rigidly saying we have the truth and the other side doesn't. And to be not only, I think, the best human being, but also the best doctor you know it we need to be able to take from both sides, and yeah. so if my science if I don't understand science, I can't draw. All the beneficial information from there. If, on the other hand, I don't have any understanding of traditional medical systems, I'm not able to draw any on any, this knowledge on that knowledge this base,
1: vast knowledge. Yes. So, Dr. Alan Christensen, uh-huh. you know, I was telling him this, and I was kind of sad because, you know, I was at, I presented at the Association of Naturopathic Physicians uh-huh. at the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians. I presented some of, some of my research. Yes. And some people just like. Turn away because it's too sciencey yeah. you know. Yeah. And then he said to me, you know, sometimes those slaps, yeah. you know, because you're creating so much noise, you got to right. take them as single-handed applause <laughs> because you're making so much noise that it, it, you it must you must be making some ruffles in the water, and right. you know th-
0: that you are right. you are in the right track. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I know um, we all struggle with this, but um, you know, many many famous people have essentially said, listen, if you if you don't get hate mail. You're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, no, none of us, absolutely none of us like rejection, like, uh, you know, to be bad mouthed. like to be, uh, you know, called names and ignored. But, uh, you know, if we're doing something meaningful, uh, it, it is going to happen. It, it's right? going to have detractors. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, then, then the hardest piece is when you get a detraction, trying to see, you, you know, You take a second to ask yourself, is there any validity in what's being said? And and if there is, you should change with the evidence. Yes. Yes. So, you know, if someone calls you a big fat jerk, okay, you can safely say whatever. But if someone says, listen, your argument is flawed because X, Y, and Z, you have to at least take a moment to say... Could they be right? Could they be right? Right. And if they are uh, then and this is hard. This goes against human nature. uh, But, you know, the truly and again, as a future doctor and a doctor sitting here where our highest goal is to do our very best by the patients that we have, uh, you know, we are compelled uh, to to change and to, you know, to try to know the best and be the best that we can be and help people. As much as possible and then that's and that's why we're here absolutely all right folks well i have had an absolute blast talking with guillermo and there's a good chance we may go out and have some food and continue this conversation but we will cut it uh here we have gone over everything from uh base assumptions and flaws in the medical system uh to some of the fascinating research that he's doing that both says the scientific breakdown and understanding of these plant medicines can help propel us further into the future and create more effective treatments while at the same time sort of losing the forest for the pine needle (laughs) that's on one of the trees in the forest. Right. Um, so again, it is all about this holistic vision. We've, uh, the, the ancestral health symposium is fantastic. I highly recommend, uh, if you can come to the next one, uh, in 2017, they haven't, uh, they haven't uh, figured out where it's going to be yet. There's, I'm, uh, there's yeah. a little bit of mumbling out there, you know. Yeah, the, the two that I've heard, um, and there's absolutely Not, no, no, yeah. no confirmation here, but the two I've heard is possibly Arizona, which Yay. would be great for you. <laughs> possibly up uh, Portland, Seattle way, which would be fantastic <laughs> for, for me. You. And I would love uh, to go see you over there. You know, Yeah, so uh, who knows? Uh, we don't know where it's going to be. It could be really anywhere here. But, but you uh, know, and always, you know, go watch the videos. Yes, please. You know,
1: and if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter. Yes. You can follow me on Instagram. On Facebook, thirty thirty strong, three zero three zero strong. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I have a blog, thirty thirty strongcom Okay. And and I keep updating my research. I keep or, or my ideas on health, and and hopefully, eventually, I'll be able to treat patients
0: and and continue this ancestral movement. Oh, you come on, man! You <laughs> will be able to treat patients. You got one more year of yeah. school. You've got some boards, and you've got some other pieces to take care of. And that's it. But <laughs> clearly, with your passion for for the medicine here, um, it is encouraging to see students going through the program with this passion and fire and bringing it out with trying to ground uh, the tremendous value of scientific medicine, but not forgetting all of the traditional, the traditional pieces that we have at the same time. And that is truly balancing on that knife's edge and what is so hard for, for exactly. all of us, right? Yeah. All right, folks. Well, until next time, take care. All right, folks, that wraps up another episode of the Aspire Natural Health podcast. If you enjoyed it, we hope you've subscribed to us over at iTunes. You can also check us out at our website, www.aspirenaturalhealth.com. That's Aspire as an A S. 7849. You can set up that free 15-minute consult. All right, folks, until we meet again, take care.